0: Good morning, church, and happy Sabbath. The parable of the prodigal son was told by Jesus in Luke 15, 11 to 32, and came right after he had told the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. His audience were the scribes and the Pharisees who were complaining to Jesus that he associated with tax collectors and sinners. And so the parable was not necessarily intended for the disciples alone. But it appears that the parable was directed to the righteous religious leaders of the Jews. It is important to note not only what the parable means, but to whom it was spoken to. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, these are your words that I am speaking this morning. I ask that you anoint my lips and that I may present them in a way that is acceptable to you and that you receive all the honor and glory. And I give thanks in Jesus' name. Before I begin, I'd like to set the stage of the characters in the story. The forgiving father, whose character remains constant throughout the story, is a picture of God. In telling the story, Jesus identifies himself with God in his loving attitude towards the lost. The younger son symbolizes the lost, the tax collectors and sinners of that day, and the elder brother represents the self-righteous, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. The major theme of the parable seems not to be so much the conversion of the sinner as in the previous two parables of Luke 15, but rather the restoration of a believer into fellowship with the Father. In the first two parables, The owner went out to look for what was lost, whereas in the story, the father waits and watches eagerly for his son's return. We see a progression through the three parables from the relationship of one in a hundred, meaning the lost sheep, to one in ten, meaning the lost coin to one-in-one, demonstrating God's love for each individual and his personal attentiveness towards all humanity. We see in this story the graciousness of the father overshadowing the sinfulness of the son as it is the memory of the father's goodness that brings the prodigal son to repentance. Romans 2 4 says or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and loss and loss and long-suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance we will begin unfolding the meaning of this parable at verse 12 if, if you're following along in your Bibles in which the younger son asked his father for a share of his estate, which would have been of what his older brother would receive, in other words, a third for the younger, two thirds for the older. Though it was perfectly within his right to ask, it was not a loving thing to do, as it implied that he wishes his father was dead. Instead of rebuking his son, the father patiently grants him his request. This is a picture of God letting a a sinner go his own way. We all possess this foolish ambition to be independent, which is at the root of the sinner persisting in his sin. A sinful state is a departure and a distance from God. A sinful state is also a state of constant Discontent. Luke 12.15 says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. This son learned the hard way that covetousness leads to a life of dissatisfaction and disappointment. He also learned that the most valuable things in life are the things you cannot buy or replace. In verse 13, we read that he travels to a distant country. It is evidence from from his previous actions that he had already made that journey in his heart, and the physical departure was a display of his willful disobedience to all the goodness his father had offered him. In the process, he squanders all his father's had worked for on selfish shell fulfillment, losing everything. His financial disaster was followed by a natural disaster in the form of a famine, which he had planned to fa- to plan for. At this point, he sells himself into physical slavery to a Gentile And finds himself feeding pigs—a detestable job—to the Jewish people. Needless to say, he must have been incredibly desperate at that point to willingly enter into such a loathful, loathsome position. And what an irony! Into such that he. And what an irony that he that his choices led him to a position in which he had no choice but to work, and for a stranger at that, doing the very things he refused to do for his father. To top it off, he apparently was paid so little that he longed to eat what the, the pigs were fed. Just when he must have thought his life could not get any worse, he couldn't even find mercy among the people. Apparently, once his wealth was gone, So was his friends. The text clearly says no one gave him anything. Even these unclean animals seemed to be better off than he was at this point. This is a picture of the state of the lost sinner or a rebellious Christian who has returned to a life of slavery to sin. It is a picture of what Sin really does in a person's life when he rejects the Father's will. Sin always promises more than it can give, takes your future, takes you further than you want to go, and leaves you worse off than you were before. Sin promises freedom, but brings slavery. The sun begins to reflect on his condition and realizes that even his father's servants had it better than he had. His painful circumstances help him to see his father in a new light and bring him hope. This is reflective of the sinner who, when he or she discovers the destitute condition of their lives because of sin. It is a realization that apart from God, there is no hope. This is when a repentant sinner comes to his senses and longs to return to this state of fellowship with God, which was lost when Adam sinned. The son devises a plan of action, though at a quick glance it may seem that he may not be truly repentant, but rather motivated by his hungry, A more thorough study of the text gives new insights. He is willing to give up his rights at his feet, as his father's son and take on the position of his father's servant. We can only speculate on this point but he may even have had been willing to repay what he had lost. Regardless of the motivation it demonstrates a true humility and true repentance not based on what he said but on what he was willing to do and eventually acted upon. He realizes he had no claim, right to claim a blessing upon return to his father's household, nor does he have anything to offer except a life of service and repentance of his previous actions. With that, he is prepared to fall at his father's feet and hope for forgiveness and mercy. This is exactly what conversion is all about, ending a life of slavery to sin through confession to the Father and faith in Jesus Christ, and and becoming a slave to righteousness, offering one's body as a living sacrifice. Jesus portrays the Father as waiting for his Son, perhaps daily searching the distant road, hoping for his appearance the father noticed him while he is still a long way off. The father's compassion assumes some knowledge of the son's pitiful state, possibly from reports set home. During that time, it was not the custom of, the, of men to run, yet the father runs to greet his son. Why would he break convention for this wayward child who had sinned against him? The obvious answer is because he loved him and was eager to show that love, that love and restore the relationship. Just let me stray from my text this morning and, and say we all have special memories. Uh, don't we, a, a relationship with our father or our mother when we were very young. I can recall an incident when I was about 10 years old, and my, my father was left to mind three of us children. I was in the middle of, of two sisters, and on that particular day, I was being a regular nuisance to my, to my sisters. And my father, who was a very loving man, a very kind person, and very patient person also, I guess he had just taken enough of my foolishness. So he, he called me over, and when he went like this with his finger, I knew that perhaps I might be in a little trouble. As I was approaching him... He was reaching into his pocket and he pulled out a small pocket knife, which was, his, which was his father's, my grandfather's, and he said to me, son you take this knife and go and cut yourself a switch. We called it a gad in those days, and you remember that? So reluctantly I set off to cut myself a switch. You know, at the age of ten years old, um, I I didn't know much about the physics of direct proportionality, but I soon soon learned in my head that the thickness and the length of that gad was directly proportional to the redness of my bottom. Reluctantly, I I took this switch back to my father. <clears throat> and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said to me, Son, I cannot use this on you because I love you. You know, my father, excuse me, he only told me this twice in his life, that he loved me. On that particular day, and on a day before he died, he told me again that he loved me. You know, it wasn't because our parents didn't love us. They just didn't use that three-word sentence, I love you, back then. You know, we we should always, within our family unit, and I'm sure you all do, to tell one another that you love them. Now back to my text. When the father reaches his son, not only does he throw his arms around him, but he also greets him with a kiss of love. Wow. He is so filled with joy at his son's return that he doesn't even let him finish his confession. Nor does he question or lecture him. Instead, he unconditionally forgives him and and accepts him back into fellowship the father running to his son, greeting him with a kiss and ordering a celebration is a picture of how our Heavenly Father feels towards sinners who repent. God greatly loves us, patiently waits for us to repent so he can show us his great mercy because he doesn't want any of us to perish. This prodigal son was satisfied to return home as a slave, but to his surprise and delight is restored back into full privilege of being his father's son. He has been transformed from a state of destitution to complete restoration. That is what God's grace does for a penitent sinner. Psalms 210 says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a murky clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established and established my steps. Not only are we forgiven, but we receive the spirit of sonship as his children, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ of his in uncomparable, incomparable riches. In verse 22, the father then orders the servants to bring the best robe, no doubt one of his own, a sign of dignity and honor, proof of the prodigal's acceptance back into the family. A ring for the son's hand, a sign of authority and sonship, of, and sandals for his feet, a sign of not being a servant, as servants did not wear shoes. All these things represent what we receive in Christ upon salvation. The robe of Redeemer's, the robe of the Redeemer's righteousness, the privilege of partaking of the spirit of adoption, and feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, prepared to walk in the ways of holiness. A fatted calf is prepared. A party is held. Fatted calves in those times were saved for special occasions such as the Day of Atonement. This was not just any party, it was a rare and complete celebration. Had the boy been dealt with according to the law, there would have been a funeral and not a celebration. The Lord does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Instead of condemnation, there is rejoicing for a son who has been dead but now is alive, who once was lost, but now is found. Note the parallel between dead and alive and lost and found, terms that also apply to one's state before and after conversion to Christ. This is a picture of what occurs in heaven over one repentant sinner. Isn't that beautiful? Now to the final and tragic character in the parable of the prodigal son, oldest son who once again illustrates the Pharisees and the scribes outwardly they lived blameless lives but inwardly their attributes were abominable this was true of the older sons who had worked hard obeyed his father and brought no disgrace to the family or to the townspeople it is obvious by the words and actions upon his brother's return that he is not showing love for his father or his brother. One of the duties of the eldest son would have included reconciliation between the father and the son. He would have been the host at the feast to celebrate his brother's return, yet remains in the field instead of the house where he should have been. This act alone would have brought public disgrace upon the father, still the father with great patience goes to his angry and hurting son. He does not rebuke him as his actions and and disrespectful address of his father warrants. nor does his compassion cease as he listens to his complaints and his criticisms. The boy appeals to his father's righteousness by proudly proclaiming his own self-righteousness in comparison to his brother's sinfulness by saying, this son of yours. The older brother avoids acknowledging that the prodigal is his own brother. Just as the Pharisees, the older brother was defining sin by outward actions, not inward attitudes. In essence, the older brother is saying that he was the one worthy of celebration and his father had been ungrateful for all the work that he had done for him. the father tenderly addresses his oldest son by saying, my son, and corrects the error in his thinking by referring to the prodigal as this brother of yours. The father's response, we had to celebrate, suggests that the elder brother should have joined in the celebration as there seems to be a sense of urgency in not postponing the celebration of the brother's return. the older brother's focus was on himself, and as a result, there is no no joy in his brother's arrival home. He is so confused, confused, consumed with the issues of justice and equality that he fails to see the value of his brother's repentance and of his return. He fails to realize that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness had blinded him. The older brother allows anger to take root in his heart to, to point that he is unable to show compassion towards his brother. And for that matter, he is unable to forgive the perceived sin of his father against him. He prefers to nurse his anger rather to enjoy fellowship with his father, his brother, and the community. He chooses suffering and isolation over restoration and reconciliation. He sees his brother's return as a threat to his own inheritance. After all, why should he have to share his portion with a brother who has squandered his And why hasn't his father rejoiced in his presence through his faithful years of service? The wise father seeks to bring restoration by pointing out that all he has is and always has been available for the asking to his obedient son, as it was his portion of the inheritance since the time of the allotment. The older son never utilized the blessing at his disposal This is similar to the Pharisee with their religion of good works. They hoped to earn blessings from God and in their obedience merit eternal life. They failed to understand the grace of God and failed to comprehend the meaning of forgiveness. It was therefore not what they did that became a stumbling block to their growth, but rather what they did not do which alienated them from God. They were irate when Jesus was receiving and forgiving unholy people, failing to see their own need for a Savior. We do not know how this story ended for the oldest son, but we do know that the Pharisees continued to oppose Jesus and to separate themselves from his followers. Despite the father's pleading for them to come in, they refused and were the ones who instigated the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. A tragic ending to a story filled with such hope, mercy, joy, and forgiveness. The picture of the father receiving the son back into relationship is a picture of how we should respond to repentant sinners as well. Romans 3.2 sums it up beautifully. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are included in that all, and we must remember that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags apart from Christ. It is only by God's grace that we are saved, not by works that we may boast of. That is the core message of the parable of the prodigal son. You see, church, the son didn't come home because he missed his brother, who in all likelihood would have abused him verbally. He didn't come home because he missed his mother's cooking. He didn't come home because he missed the familiar surroundings That he once had. The son came home because in God's eyes he was worthy. And he and he wanted to be with his father. You see, God is a personification of love. Every meaningful form of love comes from the love we ourselves experience directly from God and from others whom he had likewise bestowed with this divine gift. Thank you.